Hey to all you fishing enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. It's Monday, March 29th, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. I'm Katrina Liebick with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Yero, ready for part two of our Louisiana Spring Break getaway. Last week, Dr. Solomon David of Nichols State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana, taught us all about the alligator gar's biology and habitat. Now, the gar guy, great name if you ask me, is back to tell us how to fish for and prepare these gnarly Jurassic predators. So, Solomon, I've actually never uh, gone fishing in Louisiana before for anything, let alone alligator gar. Where would I want to go? Where, where do I start? What, what do I look into? What, what just... I'm a blank slate, don't know what I'm doing, and need some advice. Sure. Well, you know, if you come down to Louisiana, I mean, it says on the license plate, sportsman's paradise and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, there's plenty of places to go fishing. Um, You can get alligator gars in the bayous, in the lakes, and also along the coast, too. So, let's say you're flying into New Orleans. There's places even within the city where you can go and get alligator gar, usually around the outskirts of the city. Lake Pontchartrain, just north of uh, New Orleans, you you can get alligator gar there. So, I would say look up, you know how you want to fish for them. And uh, the the where will kind of show itself if you look that up online. But uh, bayous are a good spot. There's bayous that cut through all kinds of uh, places in the southern parts of Louisiana. Um, if you go further north, you're kind of going to be off the, the Oxbow Lakes, off the larger, off the Mississippi River and some of the tributaries there. But again, along the coast, alligator gars move into saltwater. So you can be fishing for redfish, which is arguably oh, cool. the most popular fish to fish for around here. It's a member of the drum family. Um, but you can get redfish and alligator gar in the same areas. So wow. um, it's really just a matter of how you want to get them. But there's there's more gar than you can imagine down here in Louisiana. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the ways that folks fish for alligator gar? Sure. So one of the most popular ways around here is using jug lines. And folks in Texas and Louisiana oftentimes use jug lines, even Mississippi. For research, we've used uh, gill nets, and so those are also successful. But uh, jug lines have shown to be a way to uh, kind of avoid bycatch um, and really target alligator gars uh, more effectively. And so that's one of the main ways, but you can get them on hook and line. You can catch gars on something called a rope lure, where you kind of bend a nylon rope in half and you kind of fray one end of it. And the gars go after it and their teeth get tangled in it. And so it's a little trickier to, to land them that way because there's really no hook involved. But it works with long-nosed gars, spotted gars, smaller alligator gars. But uh, um, those are, you know, different techniques. When we went fishing in Texas, we actually used drones to bait our hooks. So we flew a giant oh, chunk wow. of carp on a drone and they kind of uh, flew the line out about, you know, 300 feet. And so we're able to set lines around our boat and then, uh, you know, fish for alligator gars uh, that way. So there's a lot of different ways to fish for gar, alligator gar specifically. Now, when I've fished for alligator gar in the rivers before, which was one time on the Trinity out in Texas, uh, we were kind of targeting big bends in the rivers and kind of posting up there and and we were bait fishing and just kind of waiting. And you'd see these big fish come up and roll. I presumably, I guess, breathing air. I'm not sure if that's the case, but is there anything to that about fishing bins and rivers or is there better places to target these fish? Sure. I think, you know, those, those holes, you know, in the bends of those rivers are where those alligator guards are are hanging out. And a lot of the, you know, the big guides these days will use, 
you know, the fish finders to target where the alligator gars are hanging out. When we're sampling them in parts of Mississippi and also uh, sort of further north in Louisiana, we're in these sort of inundated floodplains and uh, reservoirs. So it's not necessarily riverine fishing for gars. So I think it depends on the habitat that you're that you're at. Uh, so on a floodplain, there's only so many places they can go. Of course, it depends on how expansive the floodplain is. Within a river, you can kind of target those holes and uh, and uh, you know use your fish finder and, and find out where they are. Now I know for research, they'll usually look use the fish finder to target where the gars are, and then they'll set block nets across entire sections of river. That way, they can really cordon off an area to make sure they can get the uh, the fish that they want. I got some questions. I got a lot of questions, actually. But in terms of handling <laughs> an alligator gar, so, I mean, you talk about how tough they are, they're armored, they're toothy. Like, you know, how do you unhook a gar? How do you keep yourself safe as well as the gar in terms of being able to release it so it's doing well after you release it? Sure. I mean, if it's a big fish, I mean, follow what professionals do. Um, Texas Parks and Wildlife and uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Department here in Louisiana has a lot of expertise with that sort of thing. But usually they'll put a rope around the fish and, uh, you know, it might take multiple people to bring them up onto the boat. And we like to cover the faces with like a wet towel just to, you know, cover the eyes. That way they keep a little bit calmer. But alligator gar are usually pretty chill once you get them out of the water. So um, they'll, they'll calm down, um, especially if you cover the eyes. And, you know, we like to keep them wet. Luckily, they're air breathers, so they don't get as stressed as, again, more conventionally respiring fish might uh, get. You know, stay away from the mouth. You don't want to get bit, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to actively, you know, come after you. Gars are harmless to people. If anything, the tail and the fins are what really kind of, that's what's gotten me over the years because they've got these Mm -hmm. really reinforced fin rays with bony ridges on them. So you just kind of want to, you know, realize you've got a large animal there. If you've got the towel over the eyes, that kind of keeps them calm. And as with any fish, try to get them back into the water as, uh, yeah. as, as fast as you can. They may not require as much sort of rehabbing back into the water, like holding them up alongside, like usually just uh, getting them back into the water as soon as you can is, is going to be most beneficial. But it depends on if you're getting them into the water from a boat or if you're getting right off the shore. But they're resilient fish. They're very tough fish. Um, but I think as long as you respect the animal, you'll be safe and uh, they'll be safe as well. Gotcha. I am curious. And this is just the kind of fisheries biologist type person to me asking. You did not mention electrofishing at all when uh, describing how to capture these guys. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about that. Sure. You know, for the smaller gar species, we use electrofishing all the time. So that that works well. Now, different fish respond differently to electrofishing, as I'm sure you, you probably know. Salmon and suckers, in my experience, tend to respond a little bit better. Um, the salmonids, you know, has to do with body shape and even just the physiology of the fish. With gars, it seems like you've got a split second, maybe a second or two when they're shocked to, to net them up, unless they're sh- uh, shocked really hard and you knock them out. But big alligator gar just, they don't turn up very often mm-hmm. to electrofishing. They're able to kind of detect it and move away from that electrical field. In my experience and in speaking with other uh, fisheries uh, managers, usually it's the nets and the jug lines that are more successful in getting them. Every now and then you'll turn one over, but if you're setting out to sample alligator gars, we seldom use strictly electrofishing to do it. Okay, one, one more question, jug lines. You said that that yeah. kind of reduces bycatch and will help target the gator gars. Now, I would think that if you're setting out jug lines, you might catch a lot of catfish too. I'm curious, how, how do you, is there a way to, do you put the bait higher up in the water column to avoid the catfish? Or is catfish not an issue and I'm just making this up in my head? No, you got me, Guy. That's It, it avoids broadly, you know, bycatch uh, species, but you'll still get some catfish. So, of course, you know, if you're in an area where you got some catfish, 
catfish might, uh, you know, be, be taking the jug lines as well. But what it does is it tends to avoid bycatch of other gar species and just other fish species in general. You generally aren't going to get buffalo or anything like that on a jug line. But when you set out a big gill net, you get all kinds of fish in there. And so it kind of avoids bycatch in the broad sense, but you can, you know, you can end up getting some catfish. There's no, no doubt about that. Solid point. <laughs> just wondering with hooks is there a danger when the gar are going to swallow the hook is that going to damage their internal organs what are some considerations yeah i don't know a lot about the specifics of the hooks in the digestive rates uh, for gars i think with any animal if you can use the safest hooks available that's going to be the the best um i know some guides in texas are switching over to barbless hooks and these sort of j hooks and they've had success there. It's a little bit tougher to get them, but they can still do it. I know a lot of guides also use the treble hooks because that has the best bet of, you know, hooking into a gar. Yeah. I mean, their their skulls are so bony that you're not going to hook them the same way you might hook a bluegill or a walleye, you know, going all the way through. So I think if you can hook them and you get them on a treble hook and can definitely remove the hook, then that's great. But if yeah. they swallow it, that's going to be, you know, more, more problematic. So yeah. it really depends on the technique you're using for, you know, for fishing for them. I guess in terms of the biology and thinking about kind of harvesting and versus catch and releasing, and this can kind of get into the food piece as well. Are there any things that folks should be thinking about in terms of like when they reach maturity, you know, the age of the fish, anything like that, just considerations for their biology? Sure. I think, uh, you know, we're still learning a lot about alligator gars and gars in general. One of the things is that we're finding that our previous age estimates in many cases are off sometimes by a decade or more. And so our current estimates suggest that alligator gar could live for over a hundred years. And uh, we're even finding that some of the smaller species can live for 20, 30, maybe even 40 years. And so that's a, a you know, pretty old for a fish. And alligator gars in most conditions aren't going to be sexually mature until they're about 10 or 11 years old. So that's also, you know, relatively long period of time before they're going to be reproducing. So I think uh, some states are doing a great job kind of cutting off harvest times, especially during spawning periods. And so therefore it kind of protects these fish while they're spawning because certain ways of harvesting the fish really target the large fish. You know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about bowfish and we were talking about harvesting, you know, gars that usually is going to be targeting the larger individuals. And those larger individuals are going to be our, you know, big old fat fecund females that are, you know, contributing the most to a given population. And so when we remove those individuals, we can be, you know, impacting negatively a, a population overall. And we just don't know enough about a lot of these populations to know when do we hit that tipping point where you remove so many large individuals that you're starting to have an impact on that. So I think closing off those, uh, high spawning areas during the spawning season is a good way of uh, doing it. And uh, states like Texas and uh, Arkansas and uh, even Oklahoma now are really making some progressive efforts in regulating harvest of uh, alligator gar and even gars in general to protect these fish. So in some parts of the country, gar have either been intentionally or unintentionally extirpated from parts of their range. Sometimes this was, uh, you know, in an effort to try to improve fishing for game fish or other, you know, uh, quote unquote, more desirable species. I'm curious, as a biologist, ecologist, if there's you see any differences in those parts of the range where gar have been extirpated compared to where they still are thriving and, and what kind of ecological costs there can be for extirpating a species like a gar? 
That's a great question, Guy. I think, uh, you know, if we look at the state of Illinois, which uh, alligator guards have been extirpated from the state of Illinois, I think since the 1960s, maybe 1950s. And uh, that was mainly due to um, habitat uh, degradation, but also an active effort to eradicate the species. They thought it was problematic for other game species. And so let's wipe out the gars. However, now we're making strides to try to bring alligator gar back there. So Illinois Department of Natural Resources is restocking alligator gars in cooperation with uh, one of the fish and wildlife hatcheries, I think down in uh, Missouri and also in uh, Mississippi. So they're providing, you know, fingerlings to get those, get those fish back in there. So we are trying to correct some of the mistakes that we made as, you know, in the past. Now to get your question, you know, places where they haven't been extirpated, I think you're looking at just there's more gars, so they're more abundant. So, you know, you're looking at areas where those populations might be more robust and there's just more of them. But also further down south, more people eat gar than further up north. So I think down here, you know, we eat bowfin as well, also called dogfish, mudfish. Down here, we call them shoe pick. Whereas further up north, not as many people eat bowfin or anything like that. So I think it depends on, you know, where you're at in the United States and the associated culture. Um, I've had gar, I think it's delicious. So, I mean, I always promote it to anyone. Um, if you go to Mexico, Mexico and parts of Central America, they eat gar the same way we eat salmon in the Pacific Northwest. So it really depends on where you're at. And I think in those areas, I think it's been integrated with the culture and there's definitely respect for the animals there, as opposed to areas where, you know, we decided we didn't like them or we liked other animals better and focused on that. And I think now fisheries is really kind of making an effort to come around and, uh, you know, hopefully promote and uh, improve biodiversity by hopefully, you know, uh, returning those extirpated species where it makes ecological sense. I had a safety tip already for this week, but Dr. David knows his stuff and I don't want to step on his toes. But since we're talking about stuff we don't want to step on, let's hear what advice the Gar Guy has about respecting Louisiana's other wildlife. In most cases, you know, animals like the alligators and of course, you know, water moccasins, they're going to stay away from you. You know, if you're wary of the animals, you know, keep your distance, they will stay away from you. And so, you know, just be wary of where the animals are and try not to mess with them. So uh, usually, you know, the snakes are going to shy away from you. The alligators will generally stay away from you. It's more when, you know, humans try to sort of infringe on that habitat and uh, that's when that's when trouble starts. So I'd say, you know, do, do best to keep your distance or as my wife would tell me when we'd go to some of the national wildlife preserves, you know, stay on the boardwalk, just stay on the boardwalk, you'll, you'll be fine. Now, gar is a species that I've never eaten, but I was reading a report that in 2017, there's over 650,000 pounds of gar landed commercially in Louisiana fisheries. So obviously these fish are being sold and being eaten by people down there in Louisiana. And you mentioned that you've eaten gar. And I'm just curious. We always do a segment on this show about how to prepare and cook these fish. If you could uh, enlighten us. I have to, you know, I have to admit, I have definitely not been on the preparation side of the gar as so much as the eating side of the gar. So, you know, which is really, if you have the choice, that's the best end to be on. And so other faculty down here at Nichols State, uh, doctors Elise Farrar and Dr. Quentin Fontenot, they prepare the best alligator gar that uh, I've ever had. And I've had alligator gar from a couple different places, mm. but uh, usually, you know, and you can Google this too, if you look at preparing gar, you need something like 
tin snips or sometimes a hatchet and a hammer to get through that hide. It depends Dang. on how big the, the fish is. For my biology of fishes class, we dissect gars early on in the semester because we use them for other research purposes, but they really get to see, you know, what it takes to get through them. And, it, and it's tin snips. It's like, you know, you're using wire cutters to get through the hide of a fish. But once you do Dang. that, they don't have many of the internal bones that you might see in pike or you see in some of the carps. So you really get these two strips of meat that come off of them. Um, don't eat the eggs. The eggs are poisonous. So no, no gar no caviar for anybody mm -hmm. like that. Out of curious. So when we say they're the poisonous, are they, they're going to kill you poisonous or are they going to just put you on the toilet for a while? Sure. I would say it's the latter. Luckily, we're, you know, not looking at any incidences that I know of or that I've seen in any record of, you know, humans dying from gar and toxicity. But it's supposed to be, as they describe, you know, gastrointestinal distress. And uh, yeah, so it'll 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 put you in bad shape as far as I've heard and read. I've not experienced it myself. I've 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 heeded the words. What's the flesh like? Is it like a white, a white, like a, a pike or? It is, it is more of a white meat. I don't know how to determine if it's got like a fishy, fishy flavor to it, but it's got somewhat of a distinct flavor, flavor to it. It's not as mild as tilapia, which let's face it, tilapia just tastes yeah. like whatever you're cooking it in. But yep. it is, it's a relatively, it's a white meat and it's relatively flaky, but I think it's delicious. You do get, you know, these decent chunks of meat. Some people make them into gar balls, which is almost like a meatball that's just gar. And then you can put them into what we call a sauce piquant. Um, sometimes they just mm. fry them up. So there's a lot of different ways to eat gar. And uh, I would say it's delicious. In Mexico, I've had them in empanadas and tamales and just, you know, you can roast them on the fire. And so, you know, you're talking about a fish that has persisted since the late Jurassic period, they're valuable to ecosystems. But on top of that, we can eat them too. So I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of applications there. So in terms of eating an alligator gar, I mean, are you trying, is it better to eat a younger gar, an older gar? Can you, is there a difference between the sexes? So from what I've heard is that those larger fish probably taste different, may not taste as good as the younger, you know, maybe medium sized fish. Although here in Louisiana and also in Texas, they'll harvest large alligator gars and you can buy the fillets or you can order them. So those are usually regularly available. However, as with any large fish or large predator, you've got to take into consideration mercury accumulation, PCBs, those sorts of things. So I think the general recommendation is to not eat those larger individuals. And I think another sort of ecological factor to take into account is that it's those larger individuals that, again, are contributing to the populations. They're the healthier individuals when we think about, you know, fecundity and those sorts of things. So I think it works both ways to, you know, we as humans consuming the smaller individuals or the medium-sized individuals, letting the big ones kind of do their thing yep. and, you know, not risk the mercury and uh, other potential contaminants. There are uh, folks I know out of Texas that are looking at uh, mercury contamination in GARS. And uh, um, so hopefully we'll learn more about that in the near future. Solomon, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, this has been great. Thanks, Katrina. And thanks, Guy, for having me. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll have you all down here for real in uh, Louisiana sometime. We can get you all on some guard. That'd be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> We'd like to thank Dr. Solomon David for hosting us on our virtual spring break excursions to Louisiana. We look forward to seeing everyone back in Alaska for next week's fish and all the fish. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. 
The show is produced by David Hoffman, co-produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Publication facilitated by Kelsey Course. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.